This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. I spoke to today's guest, our very own Podcast Power 101 course member, Zoya Kozakov, for about 40 minutes. And all I can think to say is this, you need to hear her story, peers. From being enlisted into the Israeli military at 18 and caring for her family, to knocking on the doors of Chanel and Landwin, only to end up as the Vice President of Product at Citibank NYC and Global Marketing Lead at Women in Innovation, Zoya is truly a woman with grit and survivorship. In this motivating and insightful interview, Zoya recounts the journey of being inscripted into the Israeli army following her father's passing, how we can get better at finding our self-worth and why criticism can be crucial to our growth. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Zoya. Zoya, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Me too. I am an avid listener and a big fan. Oh my goodness. Stop. We've, we were talking before the podcast about, you know, just how excited we were to have this happen. You know, you are one of our amazing Podcast Power 101 course members, our podcast course members, and obviously the founder and host of the Win Win podcast, which is just so incredible. And I, we, I honestly, I, I'm, I feel so blessed that we were able to connect and this all kind of came from it. So really excited to have you on. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, people talk all about how sick they are of doing Zooms and all this digital connecting, but there's still such a magic to it. And it's how we met. It enabled me to start my own podcast and all other exciting things that I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes, so good. 
Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, you know, I've kind of come to embrace the fact that I'm one of the people who are like, I do this and then I also do this and this and this. So let's start with my day job. My day job is I'm a vice president of product management at City or Citibank. Uh, specifically, I work on the partnerships team uh, working on Google Pay. So uh, we collaborate with Google to create a really unique and innovative digital banking experience. Experience um, in my other jobs. So after outside of City, I do. Um, I'm a global marketing lead at Win Women in Innovation, which is a nonprofit aimed at closing the gender gap in innovation industries. Along with that, I launched my Win Win podcast. So that's kind of my side job as part of Win. And then I also teach part time at Columbia University at a graduate level and at an online school called Brain Station. So a bunch of different things. <gasps> So many things, so I absolutely love it. And you know, as as you as you know all too well, this podcast is all about finding yourself, the entrepreneurial journey, business, and really doing things that align with us. And so I'm excited to have you on because for you, I feel like that entrepreneurial spirit comes through in your day job. It comes through in all the extra things that you do. And I can't wait to dive in a bit deeper. But before we do. I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, I think it's an amazing question because specifically I was born and raised in Israel, but I also spent eight years of my life in Moscow, which is where my parents are originally from. When I was in Israel from ages 8 to 20, I went to an international school. So I think that really messes up with your identity. If you've had any third culture kids as listeners or guests on your podcast, when people ask you, where are you from? Kind of like I can't answer the question about my job. It's it's a similar situation with uh, with where I'm from. So I think it impacted the way I was also because as an Israeli citizen, I had to do mandatory military service. So instead of going to college at 18, I went to the Israeli army and I started a chief of staff job at 18. And that really, really impacted my career because again, at 18, you wouldn't be qualified to be a chief of staff anywhere, let alone sometimes even in your late 20s. So while I was not an entrepreneur at age 18, because of the fact that my country enlists everyone to be in the army, I got an opportunity of a lifetime to manage people, to oversee tons of processes, to work at a national security level, and to be in the intelligence and to learn all about emerging technologies like blockchain, like cloud computing, uh, work with engineers and all sorts of different functions. Oh my goodness. It's absolutely incredible. And I think, you know, it makes a lot more sense now how you're soul over it. And even though, you know, your day job at City is so very new, it's like you've always, it's like you've been doing this for the last kind of five, seven plus years. So talk to us a little bit about that time there. You know, you said that from age, I think it was eight to 20. That's a, that's a long period of time. You know, in, during that time, we're still finding ourselves, we're figuring out what we love, we're figuring out what we don't like. You know, talk to us a little bit about Zoya, the early years and how you, the things that you learned about yourself during that time. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think everybody will say, oh, my family is so crazy. But I think something really unique about me was the fact that my parents were in very creative entrepreneurial um, roles. So my mom was a producer and she started a theater and my dad was a director and an actor. And he had several marriages before my mom and he was like very well known in Russia. So I think like I grew up you know, in Moscow from a family that was well-known. So I grew up giving interviews when I was very young, seeing my dad go on tour and shoot movies. And so I think something that that really impacted the rest of my life um, is this notion that my parents said, like, you can be whatever you want. We came from nothing and, you know look at what we're doing and we're doing the things we love, yet we are also very successful at them. So in one way, I thought that was incredible, but I think the kind of other part of that is my mom always said, like, be whatever you want to be, but be the best at it. And I think that mm-hmm. that's very different than going out there and saying, I'll be an artist or a designer or any of these other creative jobs. So I think in the back of my head, I did grow up with this notion that I could be whatever I wanted to be, but there was also always this very high standard. I think the other piece of it is I mentioned that I had to kind of grow up fast working in a very senior job at age 18. The other reason for that was because my dad passed when I was 15 years old. So the other piece of that was like, okay, it's just me and my mom my and my brother, and we are like figuring life out. My friends are trying on prom dresses but I'm, you know, coping with losing a dad at such a young age. And suddenly I'm taking care of my mom and I'm the one kind of like figuring out what we're having for dinner that night because my mom is, you know, going through grief. So I think all of these factors, like now when you look at my trajectory and how I'm able to balance things and cope with adversity and pivot, it comes from that upbringing. Oh my goodness. We so appreciate, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We so appreciate you being so open and so vulnerable with us. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would have been like for you. And I think it's it's so, all the pieces are starting to make a lot more sense in your story. So, you know, if, if it's okay and if you, if, you, if you feel like you can, can you talk to us a little bit about how you navigated that time? You know, how do you even process something like that? And then how do you find it within yourself to step up and actually kind of take that front seat in the family and then obviously in your career later on? Yeah. So I think the other piece of it is though I did have to grow up fast. I was still a teenager and like I wanted boys to like me and I wanted to have a boyfriend and like be cool and pretty. And so I think like there was just a bunch of different factors. And I I did feel like what I also learned was the value of leaning into people around me. I wasn't quite very good at it because at the time I was living with this notion that it's like, if you want to be successful, it's lonely on top. You have to be this lone wolf. But, you know, as I lost a dad and had to cope with kind of this new normal that I was experiencing, I leaned into a lot of my friends. And so at the time, I I was very close to a lot of boys in school and also girls. And one of the boys that I was friends with, I ended up dating. And I, to this day, like people talk about, this is a little bit of a different topic, but people talk about being friends with your exes or not. I've been friends with this ex for many, many years. And it's because he very much helped me get through this time. And he was more of a friend to me than he was a a boyfriend at the time. And so so I think that overall, like I really like, as I said, I learned the value of of you know other people and leaning into them. But I also learned the value of 
looking ahead, which would prove to be both, you know, a bad thing and a good thing. So the good thing is that when you're going through trauma, you say, okay, next year I'm going to the army or I'm going to college and I'm going to do this and I'll be very successful and it'll be great. The problem with that is you're ultimately continuously living not in the present because you are looking to the next thing and to the next thing. And in your career, that translates to saying, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then as you reach those milestones, you realize it's not enough because you didn't really enjoy the process in getting there. How can we get better at enjoying the process and really living in the present? I mean, this is not the woo-woo answer. This is the the very, like, I think, objective answer. It's setting goals around enjoying the present. So like for me, it's like, you know, right, I, I am in this new job. It's super exciting. Obviously, I look around and I say, okay, what is my boss doing? And what is my boss's boss doing? And how can I get there? I will always be the person that keeps that in the back of my head. But at the same time, entering into this discipline of product management, I learned that I have so many things that, you know, I don't know about. And so for me, I've said, you know, I can start reaching out to different women and people in this industry and just talk to them. And I can commit to talking to at least one or two people a week about product. And that keeps me grounded in my day to day and in my job. The other thing is like, my company has an innovation culture squad. So how can we, you know, nourish innovation within city? I volunteered to get on there because it enables me to really focus on bettering my surroundings versus looking at the next thing. But again, I had to keep myself accountable because otherwise I will look to the next thing. And that's that downfall of coming from this background of survival mode, survival mode, survival mode. Just so valuable, Zoya. I just, I think so many of us suffer from it. You know, I think so many of us, you know, ambitious, a lot of our peers out there listening, we all have big goals. We all want to do big things. And, you know, I think it's just, it can be such a trap, you know, it, could you give us a specific example of at one point, perhaps it was, you know, I want to get it a bit deeper into the story in a little bit, but perhaps it was when you're at that first job at 18, you know, and having that tunnel vision and having that, I want to get to the next thing when you're so young, you know, how did you, How did you navigate that? Like mentally, how did you process that? How were you able to just stay grounded in what you were doing, but then also have that kind of vision for where you wanted to go? Yeah. So I'll almost approach it from the opposite and it's when I failed at it. So um, Mm. as I mentioned, I started on the military. Obviously that was not by choice, but I was really looking to do the job that I felt like could set me up for the future. And being in the intelligence is very prestigious. You get this amazing exposure. So I did that. And so gaining the strategy background in the army, I said, okay, I want to apply that to things that I'm really passionate about. And what I'm passionate about is fashion and luxury fashion. And that's what I want to do. And so I applied to Parsons School of Design. Um, It was a design and management degree, so not really fashion specific, but obviously Parsons has this incredible fashion program, so I was able to get all this exposure. So when I got there, um, I also mentioned the ex-boyfriend that helped me get over things with my dad. But the other piece of that is also he ended up breaking up with me at the end of high school. So I was in this little Elwoods mentality of, you know what, I have to show him I'm smart, I'm passionate, I'm successful. So when I got to that, you know, fashion 
college and and doing my internships, I said, I'm going to go to the best internships and and get the best job. So I started literally raking in these internships, New York Fashion Week, Lan Van, Mode Operandi, Givenchy, Chanel, like one after another after another. And about a year and a half into it, you know, when my resume was perfect by other people's and maybe even my own standards, I said, am I really even like enjoying what I'm doing? Because it was all about proving somebody else wrong and, you know, showing that I'm smart, that I'm successful, that I have the best internships. Ultimately, I realized like what I came to the fashion industry for, and that was to change, you know, the strategies and really modernize these luxury companies that to me at times felt like they were staying behind. I wasn't doing that because what I was really working on was wholesale, which is, you know, managing the merchandising and the relationships with department stores like Barney's, which no longer <laughs> exist, right? So, so at that point, what I should have been doing was saying, am I happy? Like, let me check in with myself. Am I intellectually fulfilled? But instead I was looking to the next thing and to the next thing. And I think the only thing that really got me out of that cycle was getting to a place where I said, I, I can't do this anymore. Like I felt like I, I had just hit a roadblock and I pigeonholed myself. So I applied to, um, the district attorney office in New York City and literally went to work in criminal law. Wow. And everybody said, are you okay? Like, what is going on? <laughs> and so I, I, I studied for my LSATs that summer. I was like ready to take a complete pivot. But even then it was like running away from what was really going on. And that was that I had hit all the achievements I set out for myself, but there was nothing left there and there was no bigger why. And so I did not end up in law, but I think just taking that moment and, and focusing on something that was so real and interacting people that had gone to jail and had to work, you know, and, and still resorted to crime to, you know, make ends meet. It made me take a step back and say, like, what, why did I really come here? And like, what can I actually do with that? And that's how I ended up in digital and marketing and ultimately product. Oh my goodness. It's just so fascinating. And, you know, I think, go back. I think, you know, the journey often isn't linear. And I think so many of us want it to be. We want to be able to know that we studied this specific thing and then we're specifically going to go out and do this thing and we want to be at that firm. We're going to, you know, but it's just so not like that. You know, how can we get better at looking within, at finding out what fulfills us and then actually having the courage to pursue that? I mean, for me, I think what's gotten me out of these situations has always been intellectual curiosity. And that is to say beyond like, oh, what title do I have? What salary do I have? What company am I working at? It's really first asking myself, what value am I going to bring to where I'm going? And what will I learn there? How will I grow? And I think ultimately, you know, I remember telling everybody, guys, I got this VP job at City, thinking everybody would be like, wow, that's amazing. And then people were like, what are you going to do at a bank? And so then I was like, you know, it's, I felt like it was so short sighted for people to, to say that to me because when I said, well, this is an amazing opportunity to revolution. 
This is an amazing opportunity to revolutionize banking and digital banking. It's an opportunity to work at a Fortune 10 company, but also to work with Google at the same time. To me, I saw so many opportunities to learn, to grow, to understand technology, to finally break into product management, an industry that is impossible to get into. And so for me, although maybe City was not the obvious next step in my career trajectory from the outside, from the inside, I knew exactly where I was going and I knew exactly what I'm getting out of it. And so I would say before making some of those very tactical decisions, I would say like, what are you going to get out of there? And what are you going to bring to the table that will will create this like exchange of value across the board between you and the company, which is, I think, why I've been very happy at certain jobs I've taken and why I feel like I've made the very right choice going to where I am today. How can we get better at blocking out the negativity that surrounds us? Perhaps we choose a specific role or we have a career change or we start a side hustle, you know, how can we get better at blocking out the negativity and just moving forward? You know, like I think probably until about a year or two ago, I always say that like doubt is my motivation. I, because I think like I, I mentioned, you know, being in high school and going through this breakup and, but it wasn't just that. I think it was like, as I grew up, there were moments of doubt that were inflicted on me by other people. So for example, I remember getting into some of these, um, they're called like AP classes. So like more advanced placement classes in school. And um, I had a girl that I used to be friends with that came up to me. And when I was saying that I'm taking these classes, she said to me, I didn't know you got into those classes. And I remember being so offended because I realized it was because she didn't think that I was smart enough to get in there. Now you can say, okay, Zoya, that happened like 12, 13, 14 years ago. At the time though, I realized that there was this perception that I wasn't smart. Now I could have said, blocking out the haters, I don't care. But for a second, I stopped and I asked myself, like, why does somebody have that perception of me? And I was able to chalk some of it up to the fact that there was jealousy involved or other things. But I also felt that sometimes I was my own worst enemy in this pursuit of acceptance by other people. I didn't want to appear like the smartest person in the room because I felt that it had made me seem too ambitious or too passionate or too uncool. And so... The doubt that was fueled for by others made me realize that I had to be reflective of what was true and what wasn't. And the part that I didn't like, I was able to improve upon. So I do think doubt has worked out in my favor a lot. When I was going through the law thing, I had friends that said to me, you are making a giant mistake. You're about to go to three years of law school. You don't know why you want to be a lawyer. What are you doing? And I really appreciate that because in the moment I got defensive and said, you don't understand, like I'm not getting the things I wanted out of fashion. But in reality, them doubting me made me ask myself, is law school really going to be the answer here? And the answer was no. So I say, try to really separate what is criticism and what is valuable versus what is people just like not understanding you or or doubting you to hurt you, you know? Mm. 100%. And I think there's such a distinction there. And you just put it so well. I think, you know, and I still struggle with this today. It's it's that idea of 
that person said that bad thing about me or about my work or about what we're doing with the business or the podcast or whatever it may be. And, you know, it's trying not to take it personally and actually figuring out, hang on, you know, maybe they've actually got a point there or or maybe this is a a case where, you know, I'm just going to listen to myself. So, yeah, I just find that, I find that so valuable. And also like, you know, you run a podcast and you have an agency. So it's a very public, it's a public endeavor. You're putting yourself out there. And I think for you, especially, it's hard to say like somebody leaves a one-star review on your podcast. Like, (laughs) are they trying to be, give you valuable criticism or are they just trying to hurt you? So I don't think it's, it's easy, which is why I think you also have to learn to have validation from yourself and know who you are. But at the same time, be able to take the, the heat when you need to. Totally. How can we get to know? I abs- P.S. I absolutely love this conversation right now. I just can't stop <laughs> with the big intense questions. I'm sure all our peers out there listening are loving it as well. But, you know, how can we get better at building our own self-worth and having that self-acceptance so that we know in, in, that, in those kind of situations when we should listen to ourselves and when we should actually take on board that criticism? Yeah. So I think you know, I now being in the product space, even though I haven't been in product for, for a long time at all, I've been doing strategy again, as you mentioned, since I was like 18 years old. Um, so a lot of people ask me, like, how did you get into product? I'm having such a tough time. And I always talk about this notion of transferable skills and that doesn't just apply to product. It's just about like getting into these other jobs. So I think the cool thing about transferable skills is like, if you know how to do something very well in one area of your life. It's just about saying, okay, maybe I don't know that other thing, but I can replicate it. And for me with my self-worth, there are things that I doubt myself in all the time. Like, oh, you know, why didn't, you know, why did my peer get to this place and get this award? And I didn't, right? Or why, you know, there's so many different things outside of the career. Like I have people that I know that are engaged in having babies Mm -hmm. and I have to say like, am I in the wrong place? Like, and then I can take a step back and say, well, okay, let me think about this logically. Like, where am I seeing success? Do I want to copy that success and move it there? Or or what I'm trying to say is I think ultimately like there have been fun things that I've used in my life to enable me to feel success that maybe wasn't directly copied in my day-to-day. So for example, anybody who knows me knows I love working out. And, you know, I go to spin classes like a million times a week. Even now, uh, you know, obviously still pandemic times, but we have um spin classes on rooftops and it's like negative degree weather and I'm out there <laughs> spinning and people are like, you're crazy. The reason I do it is to me, it's a transferable skill. Like I get there and I'm struggling and I really, you know, I may or may not push myself over this limit. And when I do it, I know that, you know, if I can do it in this room, if I can do it on this bike, if I can push myself to do it there, it enables me to feel like I can do it elsewhere. And that's the part that I find really, really exciting. And so, you know, just because you can't create self-worth in the very direct place where you want it doesn't mean that you can't create it elsewhere and then apply that feeling and that methodology, if you will, to another part of your life. Mm. So true. So valuable. I want to talk a little bit about how you're juggling everything at the moment. So, you know, we kind of, you kind of talked about obviously your role at City. That's very new. 
you're also still doing, you know, the global marketing lead at win. You're doing the podcast. Season two's coming out, you know, <laughs> or has just launched. Talk to us about how you, how you manage this. And then also, I think more so than that, how you mentally, you know, and emotionally kind of process doing so many different things at the one time. Yeah. So there was a time where I promised myself that I would do a single job because I felt like at the time when I was in grad school or in my undergrad, a big reason that I was doing all those jobs was to help me get to the next big job, right? It was like a way to, I talked about transferable skills. Like when you're a student and you can do internships at places, then when you go out for the real job, then you can actually say, you know, I learned this one thing here. I learned it elsewhere. Then as I got jobs, so, you know, prior to city, I worked at an agency called Mobcoy where my clients were companies like Richemont, Shiseido, um, EY, all these big Fortune 500 companies. You know, even then at that point, I worked probably about one job, but, um, all throughout my studies, I worked multiple. And the re, again, as I mentioned, initially the reason was to help me from get from point A to point B. But then once I had gotten my job or then gotten into grad school, I realized that I just couldn't rely on one thing to solve all of my desires from an intellectual curiosity perspective, from a social perspective, from like, from it all. And so the things I take on ultimately provide me value and different value from the other things. So again, like teaching, for example, I'm really passionate about mentorship and democratizing knowledge. So I love podcasts and I'm like so surprised it took me this long to make one. But it's because, you know, I remember watching movies about, you know, Steve Jobs and reading books about all these really incredible leaders as a younger girl and that pushing me through. And, and it almost felt like they were my friends giving me advice. And so as I made it through my own journey, I wanted to be that for somebody else. And if I was the one who didn't have experience, I wanted to bring somebody along with me for the ride. So teaching, I think, is really exciting because you can be the person that makes it click for somebody else. And then just seeing them be off on their own journey, I think, is the most rewarding thing on earth. It's the same thing as like, I help a ton of people do their resumes and help them with interview prep. And it's like, seeing them kill it at their job or get that job or that opportunity to me is like, I can't really get that in my day job every single day. With Women in Innovation, I started out um, when I was a grad student. So I was actually looking for my own guidance. They have this incredible fellowship program where they bring younger professionals or people who are in grad school to kind of learn from this incredible roster of women from Fortune 500 companies, innovation consultancies, startups, venture capital. So when I got there, I was actually kind of looking for their help versus being the really more helpful one. But as I stayed there, I, you know, started taking on more and more responsibilities until I was offered the global marketing lead role. And now I'm able to kind of do that for other people. Um, so it's always just been a mix of these things that enable me to, to learn and grow in other capacities. I love that. How can we go from student to leader or, you know, I think the issue, not the issue, something I'm really curious about is this idea that we almost feel like we need to have a certain degree or we need to have a certain level of status or, or a position in a job to feel like we could actually lead and give back and provide value um, to our peers or to those younger than us. But in many cases, it's often, you know, it, it, you don't actually need those things. You know, talk to us a little bit about when you felt 
that you could actually start providing value back or, you know, educating when you come from that student role? Yeah. So I, it sounds cheesy, but I don't think there's ever, it's ever too early. I think I gave my first like panel talk when I was probably 20 or 21 because I had gotten a great job in the army. And then I went back to my high school and I talked about to, to high school. Like I reached out to my high school and I was like, you know, I'm in the intelligence. It's very tough to get into the intelligence. If you want me to come in and talk about how I did it, I'm happy to do that. I was literally like one or two years older than everybody. It's like the people that were like the grades below me. So I do think you can always provide value to somebody because just by, you know, the way biology works, like you are ahead of other people. Um, I think beyond that, I think as far as like gaining the credibility, I think a great example is like in my job now, right? So they brought me in because I do have that hybrid experience. I have experience with technology, with blockchain. I also have experience in luxury retail and e-commerce. But fundamentally, even though I'm in a more of a senior position, I do not have the product management experience that other people in the company have. And so, you know, getting there, it's been very humbling because I've had to literally learn foundations of something that some people have been doing in the company that have my same job, you know, for years. And so I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to bring the most value as a product manager only in this company as it stands today, just by the nature of, of being there for only a few months. But what I do have value in is strategy and marketing and innovation and also teaching. And so, you know, I've raised my hand and have said, you know, I can help develop training materials for incoming employees for this team specifically because one, I just did it myself. And two, I have that teaching background. So by that way, I become a leader, yes, in a different way, but I still become a leader within kind of my playing field. The other thing is the innovation piece. You know, being a part of women in innovation, innovation is, is in many ways my bread and butter, like understanding the theory behind it, its application, the conditions behind innovation. So a company like City, it's very tough to innovate when you're such a large company. So I can help provide some of those resources internally to the company because that's what I bring to the table. I know you speak to like the most incredible entrepreneurs, but I've always said you don't need your own company to be an entrepreneur. Like I, I love being an entrepreneur in these systems and then create my own systems and combinations of job. And I would call myself an entrepreneur, even though my title may classify me as corporateamerica.com. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you say that, Sawyer. And I, actually couldn't agree more you know we talk uh, you're right we on the show we talk a lot to you know those who have built companies but we also speak a lot about the entrepreneurial mindset and that is 100% a thing and i think it's just it's it's really i know for all of us it's it's learning how do we adopt that how do we how can we be innovative how can we be entrepreneurial within the companies we work with within our side hustle that you know we've just started up you know and I think that's just so valuable. You know, they say entrepreneur and entrepreneur. And I really just think, <laughs> to be it's honest all with the you, same. it's all kind of the same thing. You know, one just puts up the capital and then the other, you know, it's, it's, it's at the crux of it, at the bones of it. It's very similar. In what ways do you think entrepreneurialism and kind of, you know, you, 
Yeah, I think it would be. It's entrepreneurialism. How do you think that has helped shape your career today? And even more so than that, just you, you as a person, as a leader, where you're at now. Yeah. So it's funny because recently I've been like kind of shy about saying my age because I do think mm-hmm. like I'm 25 and I think <laughs> yeah. it, it's like people are like, Oh, you're 20. It, it can go one of two ways, right? <laughs> like I think when you think about the Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerbergs of the world, you're like, Oh, you're 25. Uh, way too old, <laughs> way too old to be a, a billionaire, right? Or like, um, but in other times people are like, you're 25. Like, how did you get that job? Or you're 25. Like, why do you think you can speak up in a room full of adults? Right. And so I've kind of actually shied away from saying my age because I was like, I don't want it to be used, used against me because, you know, as I've mentioned, both the personal and the professional experiences that I've had throughout my 25 years, I do feel are very different from other people. And so, you know, I, I, I just have a completely different experience as a whole. And so, you know, back to your question about like, how does that impact my life and how, how have I been able to do that? I think ultimately like being an entrepreneur in whatever capacity enables you access to opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't have had. And so, you know, starting my podcast, I was in grad school. The truth of the matter was I was very excited to start this podcast, but I kept on putting it off because I'd been doing all these other things. The process seemed intimidating to me. But then COVID hit and the job offers, three of them that I had to start after my grad school all got pulled. And so I felt like I just spent all this money and time to go to grad school, to get an Ivy League education that I was at the time getting on Zoom. So all around it was questionable. And then I felt like I'm coming out of this with no job. And so to me, I had, you know, I was still applying to jobs. I was still in school. I was still, you know, working at a company called Yup, where I was overseeing strategy, um, but doing all these side hustles. But at the end of the day, I turned to creating my very own product, my very own thing to enable me to be more competitive at a time where people were losing jobs and, and it was impossible to get a job. And so, to me, the podcast gave me a body of work that I was able to bring that I couldn't have done in such a short amount of time. Like I would have had to climb years and years of corporate ladders to get to some of the opportunities that I now have. But instead, I was able to take shortcuts by doing things that weren't normal, whether it was being chief of staff in the army, whether it was doing 10 internships, getting my grad school degree, starting a podcast, being, you know, a part of this nonprofit globally and managing people all across the world at a young age. Oh, oh my goodness. Sorry. I just absolutely love this. And I, everything, every point you're making is so spot on. And I just, I can't wait for our peers out there. Well, those of you listening now, you know, to hear this, cause it's just so true. And even on the note of age and whatnot, you know, it's also subjective, you know, but I, I mean, I talk about this a lot on the show, but we started this, I started this at 23, right. you know, like three years ago and people were like, well, what are you doing? Like, you're still studying. Like, how do you think this is actually going to be a job? Like, are you like, don't you want to go get a real job? You know, and then you just don't know. And I think it's that age thing that can in so many ways, I think we can limit ourselves by it, but then, you know, because we kind of see other people looking at us in a certain way, but I love how you just busted that out. So for all of our amazing 
18 to 25 year olds listening in, you have got it. Like it's okay. Go and do you. I also think like entrepreneur to me, like to me, it always felt like a dirty word because I was Mm. like, I'm not starting anything from scratch. Like Michelle, kudos to you. You really did start something brand new. And I didn't. I always had these little kind of stepping stones to start a thing of my own. And that's where I believe I thrive. Like I said, going into those systems, building out those extensions, creating new products, creating new concepts. But I also will say this, like part of the reason I was able to come up with my own path was by using other people's paths and listening to them, which is again, you ask about like, you know, my own endeavors. Ultimately, I listen to podcasts all the time and I want to understand how the people I look up to did it because I do think that nobody is really groundbreaking anything. Mm -hmm. And I think they're just doing different iterations of it. So I am one of the people that like love LinkedIn, like shout out. I literally spent so many hours of my day when I just started my undergrad degree. And to this day, literally being like president of Chanel, finding her, not even reaching out to her, but being like, how did she get there? Like, what school did she go to? What internships did she do? And then saying, does that apply to me? Mm, Yes, no. And then if so, following that path. And so again, I think your podcast, and I'm so excited to be here, but I think one of the tools that podcasts and and ones like yours give is, is this opportunity to listen to how other people do it and then decide what you want to learn and take from that story. Absolutely. And to be really frank, you know, that's the whole reason why I started it. (laughs) At 23, you know, I had no real idea what I wanted to be doing. And when you sit there here and you just take in the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding from the people that you admire and and that, you know, have done so much in such a a short amount of time, it it just blows your mind. And I, you know, I I love that you say that because it's just exactly how I feel. Love it. Amazing. Oh my goodness, Soya, you and I could talk for days. For but I days. am conscious of the t- for days and days. <laughs> I am conscious of the time. So I've got a couple final questions for you. The first one is what do you believe has been your greatest failure throughout this throughout your journey to date? Yeah, I mean, I definitely touched on, on it a lot, but I think it's this notion of really not able to separate what I know to be true versus what others know to be true. And I think really seeking that validation from other people to make my own journey. So I talked about, you know, really looking at others as an example, but I also think that there's a big danger in doing that because as you look around and you ask a hundred people for different opinions, they will all give you a different one. And it doesn't mean that that one is more right or better than yours, despite who they are and, and what they mean to you. So I think I've really struggled with being you know, both incredibly self-aware of where I'm at, what my flaws are, what I need to improve on versus actually saying, you know, I think I am doing the right thing and they're the ones who are wrong. And so I think something that um, I'm really working on to this day, and I think it's always going to be something that I work on, is continuously checking in with myself and knowing that even if I'm right or I'm wrong, as long as I stay true to who I am and stay true to the path and 
And my true why versus a vanity why, whether that's an award, a title, or whatever it is, as long as I'm staying true to my why, which is delivering value and and growing at all times, I'm good with whatever my path ends up being. Oh, I love it. Yes. Yes. Look, over the last few years, Zoe, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received a lot of recognition for your work across all of the different disciplines, and you've contributed to so many causes, entrepreneurial ventures, and corporations. You know, what are three key pieces of advice that you give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? So one is doing it alone is not going to give you any extra bonuses than versus doing it while leaning in on other people. So, you know, I talked about this lone wolf mindset, but the truth is outside of kind of like the positive collaboration teamwork speeches that you're going to hear, you are not good at everything. And so actually trusting others to fill in the blanks where you may be missing them or to to stop and just learn from others, I think is enough reason to collaborate with others if you can't get past this kind of, whether it's ego or something else that enables you to be a team player. And so I think, you know, whether it's others in your company or turning to mentors or finding other people, I think um, that's been absolutely invaluable to me. The other thing is understanding that you don't have to be the best person in the room. You just have to be the hardest worker in the room. And I really struggled with it because, you know, I talked about my spinning class, but I remember like it took me so many months to be able to stay on the beat at Soul Cycle to be able to ride in the front row. And it never, ever came naturally to me. And so I remember thinking like, how is it that these people just walk in and know what they're doing? Or like my older brother, he's a software engineer. Um, big shout out to him because he's incredible. But literally, I always felt like he just understood math. He was able to break it down into pieces and software engineering to me felt like it came so naturally to him. But then for me, everything that I did, every test that I ever took, I had to study so, so hard for. And I still wasn't necessarily the best at it. So what I learned is at the end of the day, a lot of people will be better than you at things. But if you consistently stay the person that's working hardest, a lot of those other people will end up dropping off because they're not going to end up being as creative and as motivate, motivated to do the things you want to do. And I think the last piece is um, I recently ordered the book called Ambitious Girl by Mina Harris, who is the niece of Kamala Harris. And it's a children's book about the fact that being an ambitious girl is a wonderful thing. I think I always got to this day, I think, you know, we talk about gender disparity and double standards and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and give my speech on a soapbox. But the one thing that I'll say is it's always felt to me that there's judgment towards me because I want to be the best. I want to be on top. I'm unafraid to not be the underdog. I'm very much not the underdog. You know that I'm going after it. Um, and I seek out opportunities and I ask for promotions. I ask, you know, to be a speaker or whatever, a mentor. And so what I learned is that I think that that's a great thing and, and that to just embrace that instead of, trying to battle internally with, you know, am I too much or am I too this or am I too that? I think I've just 
gotten to the place where I say the people who see the value and and appreciate it are going to be the ones in my life. And the ones that don't probably don't really understand that the place I'm coming from is a place of passion and positivity and and a positive drive versus whatever else that they may be attributing it to. Ah, Zoya, yes. Just everything you said, I'm furiously nodding my head. Obviously, it's a podcast and you guys can't (laughs) see us, but it just, it's, it rung so true for me. And yes, yes. Amazing. So I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Zoya, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us and particularly us women that we can go out there, chase our dreams, chase our goals, and we don't have to apologize for it. We can just stand up proud and make it happen. And for that, we really appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to tell my story. It's it's very exciting. Of course. Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? So I think the short answer is that it enables you to innovate as you are continuously motivated to learn and grow. So, you know, going a little bit deeper into that, I think when you are really passionate about what it is that you're doing, it creates ownership for you want that very thing to succeed. And I, I think it stays the same whether you're running your own startup or working at a corporation or helping clients. No matter what part you play in the process, you just want the thing to succeed. And so that you know, enables you to innovate, think of new ways. And if everything is falling to pieces, you are still so dedicated to make it, making it happen that you will find a way to get it done. And so as a product manager, I think I ultimately get to own something that I'm passionate about every day, but that transcends into every aspect of my life. Oh, I absolutely love it. Zoya, thank you so much. We've had an absolute blast. Where can people learn more about you, your podcast and your brilliant endeavors? Yeah. So the name of the podcast is Win Win Women in Innovation. And it's available for you guys to listen anywhere where you get your podcasts. We feature some incredible women from Fortune 500 companies and small companies alike. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, just Soya Kozakov. Um, I'm always on there. And then also, um, you can find me on my website, which is zoia.online. So feel free to contact me. I'm always excited to help the next generation of entrepreneurs, whatever you want that to, to mean uh, to succeed. I love it. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Zoya. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. 
Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>